Hey, this is Claude Stewart, and you are listening to Jason Love on The Labor of Love. Come on! Claude Stewart kicking it off, literally, with a high leg kick. Claude is the kung fu master of comedians. Very physical, big on stage, and he's got his own moves. You know, like, uh, you know how Dice Clay would cock his head after a joke? Claude's got that. And that's why we go see comedians, because they're quirky, and they're free, and not afraid to touch their own private parts. It is four in the morning, and yeah, I'm awake. (laughs) A guy who usually opens his eyes around 10 a.m. This is the second day in a row of this shit, people. I didn't realize when I booked this run that there was a one-hour time difference between New Mexico and Texas. In fact, before this gig, I didn't realize Texas bordered New Mexico. (laughs) And it's that kind of awareness that makes a comedian, makes a writer. My mom still thinks I'm an attorney. One more big case, I'm going to pay off that Ford Focus. I started to do this podcast and I got pulled over immediately by a Texas Ranger and I thought, oh, fudge. That's that's what I was thinking in my head. Fudge. Oh, shoot. Darn. Because I got pulled over because it's four in the morning and he's got nothing to do. It's five in the morning now because of the time change, but he pulls me over and tells me, and by the way, it's like, it's Texas Highway Patrol He was like Chuck Norris. He watched too much Texas Ranger, Power Ranger, whatever that show was called. He's he's a nice guy, don't get me wrong. Treated me with the utmost respect. I was slightly glad that I'm white at that moment. I don't know, I don't know. He didn't strike me as racist, but uh, I am in Texas at four in the morning doing 75 because that's the speed limit. It feels a little naughty. It's the government's way of saying, you know what? Screw it. There's nothing to look at. It's just hay for a thousand miles. Let them do 75. Let them do 80. But it turns out that my taillights were not on because this rental car, which is a Ford Focus, (laughs) amazingly, um, it didn't have a, like there's, there's an off position. The lights come on automatically, senses the daylight, I guess, but doesn't have sense enough to turn on my taillights. And now I've got Texas Ranger Chuck Norris on my tail. I had already sat through a 10-minute railway, what do you call it, train, railroad delay. This train went, this train was going on so long, I started thinking, is it starting in China? And it's just taking it directly? So I started off with no minutes to spare because when you're waking up at four in the morning, you want to get every drip of, of, our, of REM sleep in, I didn't leave myself any time for trains and taillights and getting pulled over. Now I'm starting to wonder if my bag's gonna get checked in time because I, when I get back into LA, I've got this thing where there are three different shows and the first one's at 1 p.m. and the last one's at 11. Yeah, so I'm not gonna sleep again until 1 a.m tomorrow am i complaining thank you for tuning in to listen to me complain about all my issues i've got i'll share with you why why i was in 
New Mexico. Kind of a fun night. But before that, I have uh, I was just going through my notes of stories that I wanted to share. I can't remember if I've shared this one. So stop me if you've heard this one before. I'm sure you've listened to all my back episodes. A couple of seasons ago, the man who books the San Francisco International Comedy Competition asked me to be a judge because I was in town at Parlor Live doing a show there, doing shows there. And I said, of course, of course I will. Who, who else to preside over comedy except me, the final arbiter of what's funny? It's so hard for me to, to weigh in because, you know, I love Maroon 5, not so big on Rascal Flats. Someone else in the country, in another part of the world, would go, you're crazy. So for me to, to lift up my scorecard is all so subjective. It's almost like when I see professional surfing competition. Like these guys are out bonding with nature and expressing themselves and there are guys on the shore <laughs> like judging them on how they're doing it. Makes no sense. But I'm sitting at this competition randomly, mysteriously, the, the comics don't know who's judging them. Just people are judging them for their art, for their ideas. And I'm trying to keep an open mind and, you know, if, if it's jazz, I'm not a big jazz fan, but at least I could go, all right, if I did like jazz, I'd probably like that. I'm trying to be fair, that's what I'm saying. But then a guy takes the stage and he does a one-liner of mine. Not a lot. It was just one bit about uh, if you catch your son with an S&M magazine, do you spank him? Yeah, you know, not the... It's not rocket science. It's not not going to solve world hunger or anything, but decidedly my own stuff. And the reason he's doing it is that he's in Seattle and he thinks, who's going to find out? What he doesn't realize is something we all have to learn early. The business has ears. There's always somebody who's going to find out. Even if someone in the audience is the cousin of a comedian who lives back in L.A., and when he did the bit, my skin crawled. I just got so upset about it that he had the gall and that people were laughing. <laughs> I actually, that actually was a good thing. I'm like, all right, so this bit travels. It works in Seattle. I just gave him zeros across the board for everything. We had all these different criteria. Did he bring something original? Did he... Did he, was he relevant? Was he topical? Zeros. Zeros and everything for stealing. And then I handed the card over to the, uh, the booker and I told him I was not a fit judge for that. It was uh, too bad. That's what we got to say. It's kind of like when I run ideas up the pole on Facebook. I get bummed out when nobody likes it. I'm like, oh, that bit bombed quietly on the internet. Sometimes I'll even take it off so I don't have a wall full of garbage. Or is that what they call it? A homepage full of garbage. But then I'll run an idea up the pole and it'll get so many likes. I'm like, oh no, people are going to be stealing that. I can't win, I tell you. I just did one like that the other day that got like exponentially more likes than others. It was... Uh, and I'm using it since then. 
in case you're listening to this podcast and you're going to do a contest in Seattle, uh, was, uh, I don't know who invented confetti, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a janitor. I have since fleshed it out a little bit on stage. Didn't work as well on stage as on Facebook, but good enough. You know, keep those B jokes also. What else? The other thing that I was going to share is a gig I did recently near the LA airport, the LAX port, uh, in a, it was called the Pacific Corporate Towers. These gigantic towers where they pay ridiculous amount of rent each month to the landlords, because you know they need it, they're hard up, these landlords, the feudal surf lords. And uh, they all get together after work, they make a lot of money, and then they try to drink it off how, you know, monotonous and drudgery of their lives selling somebody else's widgets. I don't know, I say all these things to make myself feel better so that I don't feel bad for making (laughs) so much less money doing what I love. That's the important thing, the passion. But they all get together in this bar and somebody thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a comedian come and ask them to stop talking and laughing to each other and chatting up the local girls and listen to me? They probably would have enjoyed it for a time anyway, but I got there and it was the exact opposite of a comedy club. When you do, when you are at a comedy club, it's a laboratory atmosphere, low ceilings, dark, bright light, people seated close together with a shallow room, all of those things. And when you venture out of the comedy club, you're always making sacrifices, whether it's the fact that it's in broad daylight or people work together and they can't really laugh at everything, etc. I had never done a gig, and this is why I'm sharing, with a gigantic mirror right behind me. It's the opposite of all those things you're going for. The reason that we have dark rooms and comedy is so that people are not self-conscious. They don't, they're not thinking about each other. They're just laughing and they're just focusing on this guy in the spotlight or this lady in the spotlight. In this case, they're watching themselves react or not to my bits, hyper self-conscious. And I'm up there just eating it. I mean, I mean, there were people who were enjoying it. They were enjoying the awkwardness of it. And so I just started deconstructing what was happening. I went full on Todd Glass, just started making jokes about how the jokes weren't working and why they weren't working and how they all had to laugh at themselves and wonder if they should change their haircuts and uh, the whole bit. I did the best I could and then I snatched that check and I left. Sometimes when I take money after a rough set, I feel bad, like I I wanna give it back. But in this case, they just put so little thought into the whole thing, not just with that, but with the sound and the, the, there was nobody to introduce me, it was just this weird, awkward guy walks up and takes a microphone. So in that case, I felt like I should have made more to suffer through that and uh, learn nothing. You know what though? That's not true, because every time you take the stage, young up-and-coming comics, all the millions of of them that are listening to this, uh, you you learn something. 
whether you bomb or they carry you out on their shoulders, you always get better by showing up. So I don't mind it. Speaking of which, I'm on my way back from this gig at an ungodly hour to get on an airplane and try to sleep in a seated position while the stewardesses, (laughs) do they call them that, attendants, stewardesses kind of like back in the Pan Am days, Uh, they try to sell me frequent flyer miles and the the captain's going to tell me how high we're flying and they don't, by the time I get there, it's going to be like nine, eight, nine in the morning to them. And they're not going to understand that I've been up since four. Still complaining. Yeah, hang in there. I've, I've got great endurance with complaining. But the reason I'm leaving it for from this gig, uh, I took it because I like to work for the military. It's an Air Force base. And uh, I'm not one of these patriots you know, who are just blindly rah-rah, but I respect what these guys are doing uh, to protect this idiot and my freedoms, a guy who doesn't know Texas borders New Mexico. So I'm free to do my booger jokes professionally. And, uh, you know, I just sometimes I'll look at a picture of ISIS and see these people in the world who, who are just insane. Like, I don't know how they got that way. <laughs> I didn't, but, uh, you know, whether a certain percentage are uh, illiterate or inbred, I don't know. But they're all dressed up like Darth Vader waving black flags and they want to kill you for not believing like them. And that's scary to me. And they're all, you know, they're calling it a holy war. Yeah, I'm getting preachy. It's four in the morning. I got, I got just, just bile and venom <laughs> they, uh, they're preaching a holy war but they're, if you're waving a black flag how holy can it be huh and you know what black flags are kind of a red flag Ooh, I should run that up the pole speaking of flags oh yeah double entendre I'll run that up the pole at Facebook and see who steals it and whether I should use it so uh, I, I just uh, appreciate that these guys and gals protect our freedoms and all of that. And uh, they're all so respectful, you know? And here's the other thing, by the way, to go back to the, the black flag people, is that we've been using drones on them. And, and I, I get both sides of that, you know, to not risk the troops and to be more precise and have less collateral damage. But how long before the drones start coming back this way? And think about those scary possibilities. Not just if there's chemical weapons and nuclear bombs, whatever. Just, you know, mounting guns. Just, you know, flying them into helicopters. How hard can that be? My cousin got a drone for Christmas. And this is a guy who gets drunk and does cannonballs off the roof into the pool. Yeah, he's got one. He's probably spying on his ex-girlfriend right now, hovering in her mirror, in her window. So yeah, at the Air Force Base where I was, they, uh, they're they actually on the cutting edge of drone technology, which is why I brought it up, to bring it back. And they're so respectful. I walked into this room, and it wasn't set up right. They had a stage, but then the room was super deep. So the back of the room was so far away that you are never really going to connect with them. And I brought it up, but I didn't ask them to change it around because if they just 
did the show from the side of the room, it would have been like a comedy club. It was just off the chart, and there was a riser already there. But I didn't want to come in and start snapping my fingers, and yes, and change the room, and move the lights. So I, I just uh, did the best with what I had. And there were 300 people there. When I got there, though, it felt like a frat party. A lot of 20-somethings and co-eds, and it, I've been in that room before, and I just shuddered. I go, this is gonna be a long train wreck of a night. But no, because it's the military, and because they're taught to respect and, and listen, and there's something to that that's just so refreshing in the douchebaggy world, this entitled world that we live in, because of our freedoms. Like, I'm going back to LA right now. I'm gonna be in Hollywood for these three shows, and I'm gonna have to unfold some people's arms, and they're gonna be people talking and, and uh, talking over me, basically. I'm gonna have to wrestle the show away from them. Not so here. And it's not because their commanders were present. They weren't. These were, it was like, no one was in charge except me. And that's scary. A guy who uh, <laughs> who has my uh, my management skills, but they all listened and they gave the show uh, the every chance and they hung in there with me. I explored some new ideas. I was talking about how at Home Depot they had only self checkout lanes, and then as I left, there's a sign on the wall for Employee of the Month. <laughs> yeah, the goal. I think it should just be a mirror. So when we pass by, we're like, oh, it's me. And no training whatsoever. Employee of the month. Thank you. Where's my bonus? So the other part about this is that the uh, person who booked the gig, she reminds me a lot of my stepmom, so I liked her right off the bat. And uh, she's, she's, she's military, but also you know, thoughtful and sweet. And when I got there, uh, they put me, by the way, in the, the uh, V Distinguished Visitor DV room for like four-star generals. It just happened to be open, and they thought, yeah, we have an entertainer. We're going to show some respect. And you, I walked in. It was like a, a ranch house. I mean, I walk in. It was a long walk to the back of the house to the point where I started regretting taking the room because just to go back to my suitcase was kind of a pain. You, th you didn't think I could complain about it? I found a way to complain about it. But it was a full uh, you know, washer, dryer, microwave, full kitchen, all the things I look for. It was the ultimate extended stay plus and uh, they left me a care package and uh, uh, chocolate-covered raisins and other stuff I won't eat, and I love them for it. I just love that thing about them. And I get to the gig, and they're all bending over backwards to see what they can do, because they are being of service, not just to their country, but to other people. And uh, it's always an honor. I actually did this gig for less money than I normally would to give back, in a way. I think if I had it to think through more thoroughly, I, I wouldn't have done it, because... Uh, waking up at four is, is my ultimate sacrifice. Today I've given to my country. And then afterward, folks, 
Um, the set went well. I wanted to crush because they had treated me so well and they gave me the four-star room, four-star general room. So I wanted a standing ovation to, to pay them back. It wasn't a standing ovation, but it was good. Everyone enjoyed themselves. There was lots of laughter. I made some moves. I, if I had it to do over, I probably would have chosen. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book every time where you never know if you're going to choose the one where you get eaten by an alligator or if you're going to choose the one where they, you know, they make you the mayor and they give you the key to the city. This one was somewhere in between. Closer to being mayor, fortunately. But afterward, just the same, even though I hadn't crushed it, um, they all like, I mean, people stay after a show to take pictures most of the time, if the set goes well. When they don't, you know you've really bombed. Uh, somebody will come up and, and chat with you, if only to tell you how you could have done better. That, that douchey guy is always going to be there. But in this case, they were these these kids that are just out of high school and they're doing their four years in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, and uh, they were just lined up, you know, to talk and, you know, some of them wanted me to sign the posters and I took more pictures after that show than, uh, than I can remember. And I've done some shows like with, uh, especially when I was touring with uh, Shoemaker or sometimes with Brian Callen where there was more celeb appeal and I was the celeb sidekick. You know, they would, uh, they would line up around there and I would, you know, sign stuff. But this was just off the charts. So I love these people. So say what you will, whether you're Democrat or Republican or liberal or Democrat or the reasons for the wars... That's the part I really disagree with. But, uh, and so when, when I say I support my troops, I kind of want to bring them back so that they're safe here. Safe and have the Texas Ranger to pull them over when their taillights aren't working instead of having, wondering if when a child comes up to hug you that they're gonna blow you up so that they can have 72 virgins. Reminds me of the Randy Lubis bit where the you get to heaven or you know, they get to their heaven wherever that is, as jihad heaven, and they get their seventy-two virgins and they all look like Susan Boyle. <laughs> and he goes, "They're not all as pretty as her." Too funny. Well, I guess that's a story. I don't have much. I've got morning voice, so I got to stop talking and. I'm going to do my best to sleep in an upright position for the next three hours, including a plane change and all of that. Get myself a banana, good to go. But I appreciate you tuning in. Email me. I know some of you have emailed me, and I appreciate that. It makes me feel more connected to the world, like what I'm doing is meaningful. That's my story. I'll smell you later.